Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of themartialist.net and philelmore.com. I am the aforementioned Phil Elmore, your host. Let's see how many times I can say my name in the opening. We're uh, we're live streaming this episode of the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore to an extremely small audience on a Saturday afternoon early in the day. Uh, that's because I recently monetized the Martialist YouTube channel and uh, the Doing the live streaming is a great way to get the podcast done and out there, something that I've been neglecting doing just because of the amount of time it takes to sit down and record the video and process it and splice in music and do all this other stuff. We've got what I think are probably some preliminary music and intro stuff in there now uh, that might get improved if I can convince uh, my friend producer Joe to come up with something uh, a little more uh, catchy. But for now, I think what we've got will do. I thought today we would talk about five pieces of bad self-defense advice. A little bit of business. Uh, I was on, well, I recorded with Gabe Suarez, uh, who has a Patreon and a podcast. Uh, the, the podcast is on uh, Spotify. And if I remember correctly, let me go and see if I can find. There's quite a few Gabe Suarez's on Spotify. And uh, it's called The Gabe Suarez Show. And you'll recognize it because it has this cool circular red sort of icon thing. But turns out there's a musician named Gabriel Suarez, too, that made Finding Gabe's podcast a matter of finding the right one so that you're learning tactical firearms and not listening to music. So looking forward to that. Whenever that gets edited and put up, that was a really, really good conversation. I have talked to, to Gabe Suarez over the years. I interviewed him years ago when I worked for an internet marketing outfit that worked in the survival and self-defense space. That is a confession that I have posted on the Martialist's YouTube channel before. That uh, The episode is titled Confessions of an Internet Marketer. And uh, I saw a lot in the time that I did that job uh, in terms of, like I did lots of interviews with lots of subject matter experts. Um, I saw how affiliate marketing is done to sell you things that you are told that you need in self-defense. You do need some of them, others, eh. Jury's out. So this isn't like, oh God, I work for internet market. No, I mean, I'm proud of the fact that I work for internet marketers, but self-defense is a business like any other. Uh, and there are people in that business who market fear and just want to terrify you so that you'll buy what they're selling to fix the fear. And there are people who are selling you things that sometimes don't work as advertised. There's people selling great products um, and everybody's selling something because if they don't sell, there's no business. There's this weird attitude when it comes to self-defense that uh, everybody should be working for free or else there's some kind of scam or grift going on. But I mean, what is a martial arts instructor who accepts money for his lessons? You're enabling him to spend his time teaching instead of spending his time at some other job because we all need to make money to be alive. So something to think about the next time you complain about anyone in any industry, really making money. So five pieces of bad self-defense advice. These are all okay. I have just dropped one of my props. I'll put it here where it's safe. Is that enough squeaking chair for one podcast? Um, these are all from my book, uh, people who carry tactical pens, can't fight and other dumb things people say about self-defense. Uh, again, shortest possible title. Uh, but what I did when I wrote this book was I compiled a long, long list of the dumbest self-defense advice 
that I have heard or seen propagated over the years. I solicited uh, input from people in my various groups online, on social media, and said, what's, what's a bad piece of self-defense advice you have heard? And then I compiled that advice, organized it loosely in categories, and this book is the result. It's got a really nice cover, too. This was done for me by a graphic designer that I met on Instagram. Uh, anyway, among the pieces of bad self-defense advice in this book, number one, let's just pick one at random. Uh, I say at random, but I have a prop here, so you know it's not entirely random. And that is that coupons are useless. Let me actually uh, let me turn to the coupons are useless page, and I will give you a dramatic reading. Uh, let's see. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But the, the chapter starts, The same people who bag on tactical pens often have the same amount of ire for coupons, yuara, capos, and other pocket sticks. The principle is the same. These small dowel-shaped weapons in keychain or standalone form concentrate the power of your blow into a smaller area that does not feel pain and is not subject to breakage in the same way your knuckles are. That is how a kubaton, a yuara, a pocket stick, that is how they work. And the whole point of these things is you drive, you're using your muscle power whenever you strike somebody. Your muscles can only produce so much force. So when you concentrate that force into a smaller area, the amount of muscle power that, you know, if, if I hit you with this fist, it'll hurt a certain amount. If I hit you with this pocket stick, with that, all that force concentrated into this smaller area, it will hurt much more. Using the pocket stick, I can hit you in certain muscle groups, like here in the chest or even in the arm, and it will hurt like a mother in a way that getting punched, well, that'll still be unpleasant, but it won't be the same. Using a pocket stick, you can easily hurt someone much more uh, and therefore effectively defend yourself much more easily than you can with your fists alone. And there are people who will tell you that, that stuff doesn't work. Pocket stick don't work. I don't understand why people would want to deny the viability of such a simple weapon. It's a very simple principle from physics. So, you know, there's, for whatever reason, there's people who just don't want to believe that carrying a weapon is something you should do. Uh, and really, we're not talking about weapons. We're talking about force multipliers. And this isn't just semantics. What is a multiplier? It's a it's like a lever. It gives you the ability to apply more force with less effort or to apply the same amount of effort and, and be getting more results than you would without the lever, without the multiplier. So to say, oh, pocket sticks don't work, that's just silly. And then there are people who say, well, if you're, if you're holding on to that, then you, you're not going to be able to grab them and grapple with them and do, I don't know, whatever fantasy stuff those people say you're going to be able to do. But if you're really worried about that, then you get yourself one of these capo-style sticks that has a loop on it. And then you can grab, you can do whatever you want, you can open your hand, and the stick is still there. But when you want to hammer away, chip away at them, it's there. You can hit muscle, you can hit bone. You take one of these to the side of the head, it's extremely effective as weapons go. But more importantly, it's extremely simple. And I think that's one of the reasons that pocket sticks get a bad rap. You could also carry one of these purpose-built self-defense uh, markers. This is, uh, there's just a Sharpie in there. And this is like an aluminum housing that holds that. Same principle. Uh, and when the Sharpie gets used up, you just move on to the next thing. This is a tactical stylus. Uh, it's used for tablets and uh, during the 
pandemic, I started carrying a tactical stylus pen just to use for point of sale terminals because, you know, they would put that plastic over it, but then everybody in the world would touch the plastic. So what were we accomplishing? Well, I would carry one of these that had a pen in it and also has a stylus for use with your, your phone, point of sale terminals, etc. But you go hitting somebody with that, that's an aluminum point. It's going to hurt a lot more than your hand alone. Pocket sticks, Kubitons, Yuwara, it's just physics. Anyone who tells you this stuff doesn't work, they have no idea what they're talking about. For whatever reason, they are motiv motivated to tell you that this weapon is ineffective. Why are they motivated that way? I don't know. Uh, your guess is as good as mine. I say that a lot, don't I? All right. Uh, point number two. Let's see. We're still on the first page here. Um, here's one. Just don't go to stupid places where stupid people do stupid things. You'll, you'll hear this piece of advice offered with the sage wisdom tones of someone who really knows how to keep you safe. You know, if you're worried about self-defense, young man, just don't go to stupid places where stupid people gather to do stupid things. And then, my son, you will be safe. And of course, the, the terrible reality is sometimes evil can find you. Someone who means you harm can find you. There was that horrible case of the doctor in Connecticut, I think it was, who was home invaded, and the home invaders assaulted his family while he was forced to basically be awake and, and hear it and or witness it. I don't remember the exact details, and I'd prefer not to, honestly. They were killed and essentially burned or burned alive, one or the other. This poor guy survived, and like you know, he woke up bloody because they bludgeoned him with something while he was in bed. The guy was asleep in his bed, and suddenly he was beset by home invaders who murdered his entire family. It doesn't get any more not in stupid places with stupid people than at home in bed, and yet that still happened to this guy. Now, what could he have done? Not a lot in the moment. I mean, if you're getting beaten unconscious while you're already sleeping, there's not much you can do, which emphasizes the need for layered self-defense where you've got a home defense system and you know, the, you don't want the moment you realize you're under assault to be when you've already been hit in the head. You want to be warned in an outer layer of self-defense. You know, the sound of an alarm going off, the sound of a barking dog, even a small dog. People think that, you know, I'm going to get a dog for self-defense. People think that dogs have to be these big, massive, trained German Shepherd-style tactical dogs. They don't. Even a small dog that barks whenever someone comes around is a great burglar alarm to let you know, to wake you up that something's going on. Certain dogs, I'm looking at you, certain dogs will wake up at 3 a.m. barking for no reason whatsoever because they apparently had a dream. So I've experienced that. It's a, you know, like 3 a.m. and you're like, what? what's going on? And the dog is just barking and there's no reason for it. <laughs> you get up, you look and there's nothing there. And you look at the dog and the dog is like, what? But still, Better to have and not need, as they say. So people who tell you don't go to stupid places, like it's good advice up to a point. Yes, you should avoid stupid places and stupid things. I don't go to political protests because these days when you go to a political protest, you are taking your life and your future in your very hands. That's the system we have. Ever since uh, 2016, basically, when we started seeing Antifa in the streets, it is not a good idea to go to a political protest. You are deliberately putting yourself in harm's way. And that, honestly, is what happened to Kyle Rittenhouse. 
Rittenhouse made a bad decision, and that was to go to this area and do this thing in the first place. Had he not been there, his life would not have been forever changed, and you would never have heard of him. As it is, he must now, you know, play the hand he's been dealt by life. Uh, and, you know, the guy's still being sued, and he may never be out from under that cloud. I'm sure he would probably give anything to not have had that happen. And that starts with going, yeah, I could go armed to this area of political unrest in order to defend myself, but maybe I could just not go at all. Now, I, I know some of you are saying, but but I need to engage in the political process, and I don't want to just give up on my political opinions. But you have to weigh the danger. I mean, yes, for some of you, engaging in those political opinions is worth the risk. And I get that. But you need to make sure that you understand you're taking a risk. So when it comes to stupid places and stupid things, approach every situation with a certain amount of skepticism and a certain amount of wisdom. And understand that even if you make all the right decisions, something bad can still find you when you are in the least stupid place there is. That's why I don't like that piece of advice, because I think it pretends to be more wise than it is. Uh, wasp spray. Here's another one from this book. Uh, stupid self-defense advice. Bad self-defense advice. You will find people who will advocate for anything but pepper spray on the theory that using household self-defense products or household cleaning products, I should say, for self-defense is somehow better, more innocent, uh, doesn't indicate premeditation. They have a variety of justifications for this, but it's just a bad idea. Household products are not good for self-defense. And by household products, I'm talking about everything from Lysol and oven cleaner to brake cleaner and wasp spray. Because one of two things is going to happen when you use, let's say, wasp spray on somebody for self-defense. Either it's going to work really well and you're going to burn out his eyes with this caustic chemical, especially if it's like oven cleaner or something like that, in which case you're maiming somebody. Or alternatively, and I've heard this about wasp spray as well, it might do nothing. And if it does nothing, you're in big trouble. So Pepper spray is legal most places, at least in the United States. Now, I know there's places where it's not. And I know there's people who might be listening to this in other countries where pepper spray is just not an option. And I'm sorry for that. Um, even in my state, pepper spray is legal mostly. And, and stun guns are illegal here too, which apparently happened in 2019 and I didn't realize it uh, because there was case law that was established that overturned the law making stun guns illegal. And I don't know if they've since applied a law governing like what you have to have to have a stun gun, like if, it, if you need a permit or something like that. I don't know. But, you know, I went to a craft fair a few weeks ago and there was a lady just selling stun guns and she had a sign on the table. That's right. They're legal. Been legal since 2019. Clearly trying to prevent people from asking questions because I was going to ask. So uh, here is another piece of self-defense advice that I actually cover in this book. Uh, Hicks Pasha says, I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. Uh, and unfortunately, I have something to say about that because that is not a piece of advice that I like. Um, if you can see, let me hold that up so you can see it. That's in the book. Better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. Because I know we all say that. A lot of people say that. But there are some other factors you have to take into account your legal defense. The legal system will grind you up and spit you out. Like I said, Rittenhouse is finding this out now. 
Um, he managed to get off on the shooting charges, but his legal turmoil has only just begun, and his life is essentially wrecked. You know, Kyle Rittenhouse cannot go to a, a just any college. He can't even get just any regular job because his name is Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, what was the guy? Uh, the guy who was married to the figure skater Tanya Harding, who smashed uh, Nancy Kerrigan's knee with a club of some kind in this weird conspiracy to help Tanya Harding win the gold medal or something. Uh, his name was Jeff Galuli, and that's really memorable. So if I remember correctly, he changed his name to Jeff Stone legally so that he could go on with his life. And it makes a certain amount of sense because when you're you you know when you're interviewing a Jeff Stone and not a Jeff Galuli, then you're, you're just like, oh, he's just one of many people named Stone. It's not even going to ring a bell. But I remember that happening. I also remember that they had like a honeymoon sex tape that was making the rounds, and it was one of those, oh, this must have been stolen. I'm like, was it? Or are you marketing this on the side in the same way that the Kardashians did in order to, you know, raise your profile? I think uh, I think it was uh, Kim Kardashian who pioneered the quote-unquote leaking of the sex tape. There was a lot of speculation that um, the Tommy Lee, Pam Anderson tape that was floating around, that they leaked that themselves. Because if you think about it, when those tapes are, <laughs> tapes, I'm dating myself there, but when those videos are marketed, like, if you don't, if this is stolen, the people in the video could easily sue you. And that's what happened with Hulk Hogan. Um, Hulk Hogan was featured in a sex tape that I don't think he knew was being made. And uh, the result of that was he shut down an entire media outlet that reported on it and showed some of it, as I recall. Anyway, I'm getting far afield. But uh, when it comes to being judged by 12 rather than by six, carried by six, you need to understand that, yes, it's generally preferable to be alive, but sometimes the legal ringer that you're going to be put through is going to be so awful and put so much pressure on your family that you had better think through the process of self-defense before you get to that point. You need to think about the legal aspects before the fact. you know. And, and so that covers things like, is the weapon I'm carrying legal? You know, I'm not talking about does it have a scary name. Nobody, you've been told the conventional wisdom is well. If you're carrying the Rambotron Death Splitter 3000 knife, they'll use that against you in court. No, what they're going to use against you in court is the nature, the tenor, the character of your actions with that knife, regardless of its name. The prosecutor will try to paint you as a crazy person, but if you have a reasonable explanation for why you had the Rambotron Death Splitter and your actions are consistent with those of a reasonable person you have a better chance of not ending up in prison over that. So understand that the legal battle in self-defense can be worse than the physical battle. You know, you could have a self-defense incident where you shoot a guy and then you run through the ringer afterwards, even though the shooting was completely justified and you weren't even charged. And, and most of the time you will be charged. You will end up being essentially guilty until proven innocent when you use potentially lethal or lethal force in self-defense. Uh, there was an incident that happened out in, I think it was Rochester uh, here in New York, where this guy shot a kid who was rifling through his car and then ran at him. And they put that dude, his name was Roderick Scott, if I remember correctly. And they put that dude through hell. And he ended up like winning his case and then moving the hell out of the area because his life here was over the way the press had just pilloried him for shooting that kid. And it was an interesting case because Roderick Scott was black and the kid that he shot was white, which is kind of the opposite of the way the media template usually plays out. 
so it's a fascinating case the way the way they went after him. Uh, and there was a lot of talk about you know what where what was the angle of the bullet? Did he shoot him from the front, from the side? Uh, you know, should he have been out there at all, et cetera, et cetera? Do we live in a world where people can just be rifling through your car? Was his life in danger? On and on and on. He barely got out of that, you know, with an acquittal, but but it was a near thing. So so I hope I've I hope I've successfully uh, covered that. All right. Um, I probably should have written these down because now I don't remember how many things we did. We talked about Wasprey, Coupons, Judge by Twelve, Carry by Six. Okay, two more. Um, let's see. Uh, here's a terrible piece of self-defense advice. People will tell you that you should pee yourself to prevent rape. They don't want you to learn to defend yourself. They don't want you to carry a weapon to defend yourself. Uh, if, if someone is trying to rape you, they will tell women, you should just pee your pants so that he'll still want to rape you, but it'll be gross for him, so he won't. I don't know how to break this to you, but a man who is willing to rape you, especially if he's a stranger, the the proverbial leap out of the bushes, ah, kind of rapist, he's not going to be deterred by the fact that he's like, ugh, you. Well, you've ruined it now. I don't think that's going to work. So, just something to keep in mind. Uh, let's see. Let's take that super chat down. And, and thank you the very first super chat on this newly monetized channel was not Hicks Pasha, although his was the second. It was from Thomas, who says, "Glad to be here, Phil. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much." And Thomas has the uh, his avatar is Steven Seagal from Hard to Kill, if I'm not mistaken. So, always a kind of a shame to see what happened to Steven Seagal. Um, he had such promise early in his career. I have described Steven Seagal as a very talented person, uh, who is also a very bad person. But uh, if someone tells you, no, no don't learn self-defense, uh, pee your pants and make it gross. And then if you, that doesn't work, just submit and hope it will be over. Like that's not advice. Like he'll just kill you for the thrill of it. In some cases, like uh, Sanford strong in his book, strong on defense talks about case after case of people with no training who, when they were confronted with a self-defense situation, got extremely aggressive, extremely quickly. And it was that aggression, that fast reaction that saved their lives. Because for one thing, you never want somebody to take you to another location. That's where you die. And other terrible things happen before they murder you. But for another thing, the more you react aggressively initially, the better your chances of causing him to disengage and go find easier prey. It, it's, the, it's the principle of the club on your steering wheel. The club is not an impenetrable device. It merely makes your car less attractive, so they move on to a car that doesn't have it when they're looking to steal a car. Uh, and, I mean, you can have moral debates with yourself about that, I guess. But the fact is, if you're looking out for you and taking responsibility for your self-defense, you should be training in some kind of self-defense. You should be carrying a legal weapon if you can, because just saying, well, I'll probably just pee myself, that is that is not an option. So, let's see. I think we covered four. Let us look at the book one more time. Again, this book is my book. It's called People Who Carry Tactical Pens Can't Fight and Other Dumb Things People Say About Self-Defense. You can get this book in Kindle and paperback on Amazon. Uh, let's see. Mm, I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Ah, let's, let's cover Bird Shot. 
Birdshot is one of those pieces of self-defense advice that I despise because it won't go away. For years, years and years, people have been having this tastes great, less filling argument about birdshot for self-defense. The story goes, the theory seems to be that if you use birdshot in a shotgun, at the ranges you are going to defend yourself for home defense, it will be effective, but it will be underpowered enough that it won't penetrate the walls of your home as badly. This is false. At ranges where birdshot is effective for self-defense, it will still punch through the wall. Almost all bullets will go through almost all walls in your home. Your, your home is made of paper, essentially. There's only a few things in your house that will stop bullets with any sort of reliability. One of them is bookshelves full of books because all those layers of paper tend to slow projectiles down. Another of them is major appliances. Sometimes those will stop bullets. Uh, and uh, if you have like an old clawfoot bathtub, that will stop a bullet. Everything else in your house is so flimsy, bullet's going to go right through it. It's going to go into the wall, might come out the other side of the wall. It may or may not go through the exterior walls of your home. Interior doors are hollow core doors. They might as well be paper. Your furniture is cloth with a little framework of wood and some foam underneath it. It will not stop a bullet reliably. Um, you know, bullets go through a lot of stuff. So. This idea that uh, you can just, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna die for cover behind the couch is pretty silly. But uh, bringing us back on track, let's see, was there? Um, oh, yeah, right, birdshot. It's not going to stop somebody, or it will, but it, it if it's close enough that it would work, you should have used a real self defense round. I once interviewed uh, Louis Auerbuck, who was a shotgun expert. And he advocated using only slugs because then you know exactly where the round is going to go. It's not spreading anywhere. Because while you can be reasonably certain of the spread pattern of the of the buckshot, you don't really exactly know where those pellets are going. It's, it's a variable. <clears throat> when you've got one projectile, one slug, you're going to put a quarter size hole in somewhere and you have a reasonable expectation of where that quarter size hole is going to go. With birdshot, it's spreading out and... Beyond a certain distance, it's just everywhere, and it's annoying people. But remember, Dick Cheney shot a dude in the face with birdshot, and then the guy had a heart attack from the shock of being shot in the face, and he still lived. Not only did he live, he apologized to Dick Cheney. Like, how much influence do you have that you shoot a guy in the face, and that guy apologizes to you for the hassle that shooting him in the face caused you and your family? So... Those are all terrible pieces of self-defense advice. All five of those pieces of advice have been around for a long time. You will hear them again. They get repeated ad nauseum. They are bad. Don't follow them. And if you want to buy this book, uh, People Who Carry Tactical Pens Can't Fight by Phil Elmore, uh, you will get even more terrible self-defense advice that you can read about and go, correct, I will not follow that. Thank you for letting me know. I hope. That is my hope for the outcome of you reading that book. Okay, uh, since we're broadcasting live, there's actually comments to read. I read the super chats that came in. Uh, Gareth Smith says, hi, Phil. Thomas says, love it. Uh, Gareth Smith says, Jason Bourne used a Bic pen and a magazine. That's right. And um, Rolled Up Magazine actually has a long, long history in improvised self-defense. Um, basically, anything that you can make sufficiently rigid that it will hurt somebody can conceivably work. There's techniques like the mill wall brick where you're essentially making uh, a weapon out of layers of sodden and hardened uh, soddened and hardened newspaper. 
Um, somewhere I have the instructions for making a mill wall brick. Uh, there's no end to human inventiveness when it comes to making weaponry. And even in the most controlled environment anywhere, which is prisons, prisoners still manage to manufacture weapons that will kill you. And they're focused on efficacy. So when a guy sharpens a toothbrush to come stab you to death with it, it's going to work because he needs it to work. So he's not going to mess around with anything that doesn't work. And he's got plenty of prisoners who came before him to pass on the lore of how to make something to murder a guy. Uh, making weapons that can take someone's life simply isn't that hard. The human body is both remarkably resilient and remarkably fragile. And you know how in school, lore gets handed down from student to student, like that S symbol that students draw. Nobody knows where that came from. It's just getting passed down from generation to generation. Well, in prison, they pass down how to you know melt a toothbrush to make a shank. Uh, let's see. Thomas says, weird that the same folks who deride pocket sticks love tactical pens. I don't think that's the case. Um, I, I'm a fan of both for obvious reasons, but it's been my experience that a lot of people, you know, they are not fans of both pocket sticks and tactical pens. Um, there's one guy online who I've given a lot of grief. He's a, a viral self-defense exponent, uh, theoretically. Uh, he's mostly a mixed martial arts coach. And he will put up videos that completely contradict them. And he's got these brilliant clickbait titles. I see his videos shared a lot. They're not, they're, they're, he's only ever correct by accident. So they're terrible advice, but like he advocates for carrying a flashlight, but he hates tactical pens. He's actually the guy that inspired the title of my book. So it wouldn't take you much investigating to find out who that is. If you look at my other videos on the martial arts channel. Uh, let's see. Gareth Smith says, probably has more to do with marketing than anything else, Thomas. Marketing is a factor. Um, marketing is a factor. Thomas says, Clint Smith swears by his small dogs. Yeah, small dogs are great alarm systems. Uh, let's see. Hot Rod Glock says, situational awareness is definitely an important skill, but it's not the only skill. That's that's correct. That's correct. And And you know, that's the keep your head on a swivel crowd. They're not wrong. The problem is that just being aware isn't enough. You can be aware of a threat as it approaches you and still not know what to do when you get beyond the threshold where you could escape if you were ever, you know, outside of it. Gareth Smith says the hairspray meme in movies and TV. Yes. Another bad piece of advice. You're going to take hairspray and a lighter and you're going to make yourself a an improvised flamethrower and then you're going to Ripley in aliens your way past the brigands who have set upon your path and mean you harm. Like, no, you're not going to do any of that. And you start messing around with aerosols and flame. It might just as well explode in your hand. You don't have any way of knowing. Hicks Pasha says, for some reason, illegal here in England. I, he might have been talking about pepper spray. Uh, and yes, I think I am aware that pepper spray is not legal in England. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Lager fan talking about the the craft fair. She knitted stun guns. No, these were these were commercial units. They were not knitted. She had some of the traditional stun guns, and then she had some of the flashlight stun guns. I'm still not sure how I feel about flashlight stun guns. I really don't. I don't know. Ching Lee is here. Good afternoon. Lager fan says Tanya Harding's husband hired some dipstick to kneecap Nancy with a pipe. That's right. There was another guy involved. And then they got nabbed for the conspiracy. How they thought the club guy was going to get away with it, I don't know. 
Like, did they think he was just going to slip into the crowd sight unseen? But, you know, people who do that, uh, they're obviously not thinking through the consequences of their actions. Lagerfan says, I do like Tanya on The Smoking Gun Presents. Is she hosting on The Smoking Gun? Do they have like a, a YouTube channel? I was not aware of that. That's an interest. Like, theoretically, Tanya Harding didn't know that this was done on her behalf. So if I remember correctly, she didn't get into any legal trouble over this. It was the husband who ended up in trouble over it. Uh, Lagerfan says, smoking too. Is she? Is she still very attractive? I, I have to admit, I have not followed Tanya Harding's career since the time that uh, all this happened, which was a long time ago. Uh, Hicks Pasha says, Farmer Tony Martin is a good example of the legal issues you can face. Uh, let's see. Farmer Tony Martin. Anthony Edward Martin is a farmer from Norfolk, England, who shot a burglar dead in his home in August 1999. There was much sympathy for Martin and enthusiastic support for the right to defend one's own home. However, prosecutors cast doubt on his evidence and pointed out that he did not have a valid firearm certificate. Martin was convicted of murder, later reduced to manslaughter on grounds of diminished responsibility, and served three years in prison, having been denied parole. Yeah, I mean, he's lucky he didn't spend 20 years in prison. But yeah, the first rule of using a firearm for self-defense is it had better be legal because that's going to color everything. Now, I'm not saying that the reason he went up for it was only because of the legal issue. Um, Bernard Goetz, who famously shot muggers on the subway in New York, uh, he was way over the line. Like He stood over one of them and said, you don't look so bad, here's another, and shot him again. Uh, but New Yorkers were so fed up with crime that he skated on all of the self-defense issues. The only thing he got convicted of was the gun charge because he had an illegal gun because you could not legally carry a gun in New York City unless you were a famous person with connections, you know, or a rich person with connections. Um, so he, he went up for that. So yeah, if you're going to defend yourself, the weapon has to be legal. And I'm sorry if you live somewhere where they've put in your way obstacles that make it impossible for you to have the weapon you'd like to have, but it, you've got to start with making it legal because if you ever do use it, they will simply use illegality against you. It will color everything. So, Marty Bass says the Tanya Harding sex tape was. Oh my goodness! Well, I'm I'm sorry for your loss, sir. Gareth Smith says how malicious. I'm not sure what he's referring to. Hicks Pasha says Masad Ayub called called these cute lawyer tricks. Yes. Uh, I have interviewed Masad Bayoub. He has the the deepest voice you've ever heard on a human being. It's quite intimidating. Gareth Smith says, a wooden boken rather than a razor-sharp sword. Well, again, uh, if you're using a weapon, you could be using a, a beating weapon or a cutting weapon. It could be bludgeoning or it, it could be cutting and stabbing. There was that famous incident where the guy who was one of the Power Rangers stabbed his roommate with a sword and initially it looked like even though it was deadly self-defense uh, i believe that guy died uh I, I may be wrong but i think he did uh the the former power ranger initially they thought it was self-defense and it was valid and the story he told checked out and so they weren't going to charge him but on further investigation i believe they determined that his story didn't hold up so he might have like described it in a way that made it look like valid self-defense but then they found out facts 
that contradicted that, and he ended up going up for that. I don't know if, you know, beating a guy with a wooden sword is less likely to kill him, not completely less likely, but uh, it's also less effective. So, I, you know, there's no, there's no quick, like, I have this legal answer that's going to keep me safe from the courts based on the weapon that I choose. There's really, it's going to be your actions in context that make that difference. There's no fast and easy answer. Just use this rather than that in order to avoid prosecution. Unfortunately, our legal system is nuts when it comes to self-defense. Hicks Pasha says, Jeff Cooper talks about this too. Yes, and Jeff Cooper's Principles of Personal Defense should be a must-read for everybody. You could read through that book in just a few minutes. It's very short. Oh, let's see. Danny Wright. Well, I'm sorry you find me a fake expert, sir. Um, allow me to... Uh, Let's see. Is Danny still here? No. Well, all right. Well, I will. I will save you from my boring uh, transmissions in the future, Danny. Hicks Pasha says probably best to hug the ground if taking fire. Well, I mean, if you do that, then you have less mobility. I, you, again, everything is context. Hicks Pasha says rolled up newspapers have a long history with football thugs. Yes. The, the We call them uh, soccer hooligans here in the United States. But yes, very much so. <laughs> Liger fan says, I'm going to need a cigarette after that rigid talk. Uh, Dead Ronin 47 says, I enjoy your channel. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. Uh, Dead Ronin 47 says, newspaper spear that he saw a guy in jail make. It's scary. Yes, that's the same concept as the Millwall brick. Paper can be uh, made wet and then molded, and when it hardens, you actually can produce a weapon with it. Lagerfan says, Elwood Blues used adhesive and a lighter. Well, that's the, the miracle of movie making. Lagerfan says, I believe of Tanya Harding, she's one of many on True TV's Smoking Gun Presents. She's not smoking, in my humble opinion, but I had a misspell. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Which is sad. I remember her being an attractive young lady. Hicks says he is stuck with swords for now, sadly, where he is. Well, uh, I have a book that you might enjoy. It's called Street Sword, Practical Use of the Long Blade for Self-Defense. Um, it is a very old book. I, I wrote it in the early 2000s, but the principles in it are sound, and it explains the basic mechanics for using a sword for self-defense. So you can get that book on Amazon right now. You might find it useful. Uh, Lagerfan says, my only quick legal advice is don't get caught. Well. I don't know, in, in the day and age of cameras, uh, you know, surveillance everywhere, everyone's got a phone, you should really assume that someone has seen you do something. Don't assume that you get away with something because you weren't seen, because you really don't know that. Um, always conduct yourself as if you, you are aware that you've been witnessed. Uh, Hot Rod Glock says, brass knuckles or a sprung sap, which would you prefer to be armed with? That's a tough call because... Both are specialty weapons. Um, brass knuckles are best used with kind of a, a hooking, chipping action where you target anything with bone underneath it. So you wouldn't hit someone, someone with brass knuckles in the gut necessarily. You would strike them in the cheekbone or even in the hand. Uh, that's more effective because there's bone under a thin layer of skin there. Um, whereas with a sap, that's really a specialty weapon where you're clubbing someone down 
preferably from behind, but you can also club them down from the front. Um, I guess if I had to pick, I'd pick the sap, but uh, by sprung sap, I assume you mean a leather sap with like a piece of spring steel inside it. If what instead you're talking about is like a spring kosh, one of those extending batons, then eh, I'd probably still rather have that than brass knuckles. But it, that's a that's a preference thing. Uh, Hicks Pasha says it's not a good idea to BS the police. Exactly, because they have a tendency to know. And the police just assume that you're guilty until proven innocent. They just assume that you know, in the absence of evidence to the contrary, there's probably something suspicious going on. Uh, at some point, I'll, well, maybe I can quickly tell the story now. I was, I used to live in an apartment complex and I heard some guy screaming at like three in the morning. I come downstairs and there's a guy screaming about the fact that the TVs and the headrests of his Lexus have been stolen. Now, this was a decent apartment complex, but it was not the sort of place where your Lexus should have televisions in the headrests. So it's just kind of begging for them to get stolen. And he was screaming and yelling. And then the cops showed up. And when they rolled up to me and talked to me, they talked to me like I was a suspect because they didn't know. They didn't know the context of why I was there. And I explained, I I'm not involved in this. I just came out because that guy was yelling. And then he his tone changed considerably when he realized I was not a participant in what was happening. But that's that's typically how they'll deal with you before they know otherwise, is they'll just assume you're one of the one of the participants. And not in a good way. Marty Bass says, Don't talk to the police. That is correct. Uh, Hicks says, in the UK, the police will hate you if you defend yourself, sadly. There is great hostility towards self-defense in the UK. And I've said several times that self-defense in the UK is essentially illegal. I think it's that way in Canada now, too, based on comments that Trudeau has made. And there's a lot of Canadians and and uh, people in the UK who get mad at me when I say that. I'm like, I'm just telling you what I'm seeing in the media. Like, it just it's effectively illegal, no matter what lip service the authorities pay to the contrary. So, all right. I think that will do it for this episode of the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Thank you so much for your participation. I think that adds a new fun dimension to these podcasts. So I'm looking forward to doing them and doing them more often. Um, until next time, this has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. I have been the aforementioned Phil Elmore. Until next time, do your best to... No, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> that's my other show. Until next time, pretend I said something cool here.